the works of the Holy Spirit, it's kind of interesting, as you go through the book of Acts, and we kind of first saw the work of the Holy Spirit as it came upon the church at first, and they're all there, and it came in with a mighty rushing wind, and the power, and them speaking in many languages, praising God. And then we see Peter, as we were looking at last week, as he stands up and he preaches of what's going on with boldness, with boldness. And we saw, and we kind of saw at the end of last week, in the beginning of this week, um, uh, in verse 41 and stuff, um, we see the work that the Holy Spirit does in a heart. From the preaching of the word and, and God and the Holy Spirit changing a heart. And then we're going to look at how does the Holy Spirit continue to work in the church and in our lives today? How, how do we act or live out this Christian life? How does that show up in actions? And how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives in actions? And so there's kind of four key uh, things we see this morning, not all the key things, but definitely four key things we really see clearly in the gospel in Acts 2.42. You know, you can, there's many, 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 not just Calvary Chapel, but many fellowships who base the purpose of the church or how the church is to be done and what the church is about off of the verse Acts 2.42. And we see the, the word of God, the doctrine being taught, we see fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And so we're going to look at kind of those things today as we go through. So if we started back, though, in verse 36, Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Jesus, or Peter sit here sharing the gospel, sharing what's happened, what's going on, the Holy Spirit, pulling out the Old Testament scriptures, referring to it, literally with boldness out of his mouth, even if maybe he wouldn't even, wasn't even sure how bold he was being until it had left his mouth, calls everybody out. The whole crowd outside the, the day of Pentecost, outside of Jerusalem, outside the temple wall there, and he calls them all out with that statement. What a bold statement, right? And there's got to be a response. And so you have the power of the Holy Spirit working. You have the preaching and the Holy Spirit working through Peter in that way. But then in verse 37, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in a heart. And it says, the work of the Holy Spirit, um, verse 37, excuse me. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so no matter, you know, no matter how much a pastor or preacher or somebody sharing the gospel is and full of the Holy Spirit, there has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, in the listener's heart, and God working in your heart. And sometimes just the lack of that even, even if the, hearer, the, the speaker is weak and, and is insufficient, the Holy Spirit is very sufficient. You know, we go out and we do EE. I don't know how many times I've gotten and went out to go share the gospel and I'm burnt out and I'm tired and I'm just not, definitely not full of the Holy Spirit. I, I'm just trying not to, you know, be grumbling, you know, and, and go out and you're kind of, oh, meet somebody, okay, and go through the same thing we've learned. And yeah, it's a, there, there's a canned little order to stuff. And, and you look up halfway through it and the person's weeping, wanting to accept Christ. And you're just like, I'm there. The Holy Spirit's there. It's just not with me. It's obviously working in this person's life. And that's something only God can do is, is to change a heart. And I believe 
the Holy Spirit's really clear that he taps on every heart. You know, there isn't some that, that he doesn't. He, he speaks to the whole world. God's creation speaks to the whole world. And um, I believe, yes, there are the elect of Christ and everyone's elect, that Jesus came for the whole world and became the light of all men. And we see this here also kind of, you know, here they ask, what shall we do? So they believe, but there needs to be some kind of action. They believe in the person of Jesus. And in verse 3, it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So when they ask Peter here, What shall we do? Peter didn't respond with, you know, there's nothing you can do. God either saves you or he doesn't. You know, um, if God saved you, you're saved. If you're, God didn't save you, you're not. No. He says there's something to do. They ask, what should you do? He responds with what they should do. That's they should repent. You know, it isn't, oh, you believed that was enough. Oh, you guys believed you're good. Happy, run away, you know. Um, and sometimes when you're sharing the gospel, you get to that point, right? It's like somebody's sitting there and you say, oh, yeah, well, I'll believe in Jesus. Well, you need to change your life. No, that's not an easy conversation to have, right? Oh, I'm glad you want to come to church with me and hang out. I'll go to church. Okay, I'm good. I'll let somebody else tell them the bad news that they need to rethink their thinking process, that their mind needs to be, um, if you would, reprogrammed in a sense, you know? I, I, I think, um, you know, repentance, we kind of have an interesting view of repentance. You know, you ever you ever see somebody who, gets convicted of a crime or something, and they are, quote-unquote, repentant. Well, are they repentant, or are they sorry? You know, as a parent, there's many times you realize your kids are sorry they got caught. They're not repentant. If you did not catch them, they would have continued. And if you walked out of the room and didn't discipline them, they would still continue, you know? They're sorry they feel bad about it. And that's where I think most people think of repentance as, oh, we feel bad about something. But really, repentance is changing the way you're thinking about it, changing your mind, changing your heart and your, your mind. You know, the first word of the gospel is said to be repentance. And I think it's rightfully so that we rethink our thinking. Um, you know, some people go, well, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, did you repent? And they go, well, repentance is works. That means you did something. I don't know how you can believe without repenting. It's a thought process. It's, if I don't, how can I change my action if I don't change my thinking? And if I change my action without my heart changing, did I actually change my action? I mean, I can start going works-based and not be saved. I can try to look like a Christian in a sense, or I can try to look like I've repented, but if my heart's not there, it's not right, and, you know, um, it, you know, repenting to God, it's turning away from this, and I'm turning to God. Now, you know, there's illustration used of, it's a car, it's like taking a U-turn in the road of life, you get off, you change your direction, go around, and yeah, there's some of us, we repented, we turned our lives around, we've got headed the other direction, we've stalled out and broken down along the way, maybe started walking backwards a couple times or whatever, but we've repented, we've changed the thought process, the direction we are going, the things we are living for, and we chose to go a different direction, and that's repentance. Now, there's some people, I believe, that were in the car, they were right at the exit of their life, and they repented 
and their car blew up. Boom! Before they could even touch the steering wheel to start to turn. You know, but the heart point is there, right? There isn't a works. They didn't have to do something. The man on the cross shows that. I mean, he, he, he at least was, was starting to jerk on the steering wheel by telling the guy next to him on the cross, hey, you know, this is a savior. What are you doing? Don't, don't be mocking him. Don't you realize we're at our exit? You know, we're all getting off here, you know? So, it's kind of interesting when you see that, and so the repentance, and to think of repentance is that way. I mean, to say, well, I believe, you know, you can be saved by just belief. Well, belief without repentance isn't belief. You have to have a mind change, a, a, a different direction, and a different thought. And so it's kind of interesting. As I was going through, I kind of wanted to go back and kind of highlight some of those things. Um, I mean, there's things that push in our culture at that way. All you got to do is say you believed, and if you believe... Well, if I believe in something, there should be some kind of action that goes along with that repentance. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be, I I don't understand, how can you, I mean, I guess there's sometimes you, can you really do something without thinking about it? I know there's a lot of you, we believe this, because we see people do things, and you go, they were not thinking when they did that. No, they were thinking, or they were choosing not to be thinking, or they were choosing to maybe be intoxicated, but you cannot make a choice. The choices, your actions are all based on a thought process you have, and you've chosen to believe a certain things, and you continue with it. You know, I, I always joked around with the youth. I said, if you really believe something, you know, there should be an action. There should be something. If I told you, hey, the air we're breathing in the Central Valley, man, you take four breaths of that stuff, you're dead instantly. And I come running up to your door, and I tell you that, and I go running off, you're going to go, that guy's crazy. He doesn't even believe what he thinks. Now, if you see me running up in scuba gear to your door, and I show you a note, you'll go, at least he believes what he believes, you know? (laughs) You might take me a little more serious, right? Um, you know, and so there's got to be some kind of action that lives out in a life in that sense. And so we see that, and he said also to be baptized, which for these men were really actions kind of showing their faith. It wasn't that they had to be baptized to be saved again, not that there's any work that you have to do of repentance to be saved, but for them and these Jewish believers, these people that have traveled from all around the world to come to the day of Pentecost, Do you realize how much their whole world was based on their religion? Who they were? Now, here we have identity in a country. There is no country in the world like America in the sense that we have a flag on everything. People decorate with flags. They wear flags. Other countries, that's weird. Why would you want to run around with the country's flag? I mean, that's just like wearing a Raiders uniform or something. I don't know. But you know what I mean? That's like... You know, you know, why would you want to wear somebody's, you know, thing around and stuff? And so you, you see that it's weird. And for, for these people, everything they did, their whole thought process, how they prayed, the, all the things of the law they had to fulfill, and these fact that this group of people traveled from all around the world to be there at the day of Pentecost means they were committed. You know, they were very committed to this, to this thought process. And to lay aside that, and be baptized, which wasn't something Jewish people did, but Gentile people did to become Jewish, it was the only kind of Jewish baptism, was to say, okay, we're going to give way, we're, we're showing that that whole life, that whole thought process is done, 
and we're doing something different. The feast, the Pentecost, the way we've done everything, the way we've saved our finances, the way our whole life plan is now out the window. And now what are we going to do? And you've seen this in great movements when, when, when the Holy Spirit and God has done great movements through church history, that same thing has happened. There was a stop, and the stop was, okay, now what? And there's a desire for the Word of God. They, you, know, you don't have to convince those people to go to church. They want to know because I don't know how to live. I turned around and didn't know nothing, you know? And, and you, know, you get these new believers in their plane, should I take a left or take a right? And you're like, well, I don't know. What does your GPS say? No, I mean, you, you sit there, right? They want to pray about what are we having for lunch? Should we eat Subway or should we eat here? I mean, and it's just, just maybe, you know, um, childlike faith in that sense, a little beyond, but compared to the opposite where, you know, God knows when we go down the road, we don't really consider those things. So you see this, the whole desire and this whole thought process for it. And so when this happened and they were to be baptized and were told to be baptized, this is showing very publicly and everything else, hey, this is a whole different, we are starting anew and starting afresh. And in verse 38, it also, if you look and says, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And so their whole process is going to be changed. They are going to receive power. They're going to receive the Holy Spirit. They're, they're going to be born again. And if you think of that term, we use it so easily in thought. I mean, think about being born again, born into a different world. Everything changes. When a baby is born, his whole, the whole perspective on life changes. It all opens up. It's all different. And so in verse 40 now, we're going to see how this is kind of lived out in a sense, and we're going to start to see the, the change here. Verse 40, it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added to them that day. So can you imagine the scene? You're sitting there. The, he speaks out boldly. There's a response, which he might have even been surprised at the response, you know. And, and he continues, and they were baptized gladly. Now, there was pools in the area and everything, but just think of the statistics to do that. Baptize 3,000 people, right? It's going on. you got 120 disciples. Now you got 3,000, you know, discipling. And the feeling that would have been there, how long that, just that process would have been taking, you know. And about 3,000 people. I mean, can you imagine wow, what a rush that would have been or the feeling at that moment, right? And then the flip side of that, of what are you going to do with 3,000 people, right? Like, if, if 3,000 people got saved and came into the church tomorrow, we'd be excited. The next Sunday, we'd be going, who's doing child care? No, like, there'd be all kinds of, the leadership here, we'd be like, okay, we got to figure this out, you know, especially 3,000 brand new believers, Right, like this is this is gonna be fun, um, you know. And you just pray for the Holy Spirit for sure, you know. But the the reality of that, and and now we kind of start to look in verse forty two is okay. How do you live this way? How do you manage that? What does the first church look like in this in this scripture here? And so I kind of wanted to step back because the first part of a church, not a perfect church, a good church model is what we kind of see here. Not the perfect model for a life, but a very good, solid foundation for a Christian life here. The first step is repent. You have to admit the way you've been thinking before you were saved and the way the world is flawed. The programming is messed up. It's corrupt. 
it's going to cause a problem. And if we don't stop here, and if those things aren't in order, it's pointless to go on in your life. If you haven't sat down and you've gone and come to grips with, hey, I need to repent, I need to rethink my thought process, the rest of this book's pointless. It isn't going to help. It might make some, you know, some good suggestions. You might be able to do some of it, but without the repentance and without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be lost. And so it just won't work. And so we see that, and we, that's where I kind of wanted to step, uh, take a step back, and sometimes we can get back into our old thinking, and we think, okay, what is, do I feel bad about things? You know, my, my parents were raised Catholic. They went to church. They felt bad about what they did all week, but they went to church. They were told they were bad. They said some prayers, and they went back to doing what they were doing, to go to church next week. To, you know, they were repentant every Sunday until they left. You know, and sometimes, sadly, in the church today, many people go to church, go to service, they'll repent in the sense of, I feel bad about what I've done, and I need a change, and oh, I need to get up and do devotions with my wife and kids, I need to be this man, and all these things, and then, what's for lunch? All those feelings are gone, forget about it, go home, zone out on football, or whatever TV show, so I don't have to think about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, turn that... Holy Spirit down in my life and go on. And so we really have to stop and think and go, okay, what does my life look like moving forward from here? And there's some very good things in Acts 2.42 about doctrine and the base of what the church is to be doing. When you look at scripture and we come out of how this Christian life is supposed to live, we see Jesus teaching on it. We see it talked about or done in the book of Acts. And we see it expounded on by by the, uh, the other books of the Bible there, writers of the scripture, and, and it explained and expounded upon. And so those are the things where we build up what the church does, but also as a life. So in Acts 2.42, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and breaking of bread and in many and in prayers. So they continued, first thing, it sounds you know, easy to skip over, but they continued to do it. So they stopped one way and they continued steadfast. And, and steadfast has an interesting term. I mean, to be locked and steadfast. You know, when you go to the beach and you see a boulder out on the beach, it's steadfast. It is not moving. The waves are moving. Everything else is moving in. Your little kids are moving in and out with the waves. You know, people getting knocked over, all these things. Tossed, but that boulder steadfast. It is not easily moved. It is changed its mind, uh, you know, you change your mind and you're steadfast. These people weren't persuaded and then persuaded another way. And later on we see where they don't stick close to doctrine and people being swayed from the church, but at this point they're steadfast. They have gone from planning their life, planning this trip to the day of Pentecost to getting there to going, wait a minute, er, stop, we're changing and we're changing. And it wasn't, oh, you know, that was a fun thing last week. That was really exciting when all that happened. Let's get back to doing what we were doing. No, they made that change in their staying and they're altering their lives. We're going to see as they hung out and stayed in the area for a while. Many of them are new believers. Now it's like, hey, I have to rethink my whole life. I don't want to go home. I'm not going home. I want to hear more about this Jesus. You walked with him. He is three for you. I need to know more information. And so they were steadfast. And so they were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Now, when you talk about the church, okay, and I, I want to get this really clear, okay, when we look at this, and, and these are the, you know, 
four main things to church and how we, how we should be as a church. Somebody here define to me what a church is. It's not the structure, is it, right? The wood and all that does not matter. Um, many of you who've been here a while know that doesn't matter because we were in an event center and the things that happened in the event center the night before church, you didn't want to know about, some of us clean crew did. You know what I mean? It was nothing to do with the building. Okay, so the church is family. How many? Church is one person. If there is one person of all of Manteca saved, that is the church. You are the church. And so when you really slow down and you look at that and you go, okay, who is the church? And when you even look at church history and those things, it's all, it's, this is what the organization was doing, but what was God doing? What was God doing in the church, the people? Instead of what is the church, it's more who is the church. And if you're a believer, you are the church. And so to continue in the apostles' doctrine. Now, they were teaching out of the Old Testament. They were teaching the New Testament. They had um, scriptures inspired. You know, Jude is, Jude is going through and saying, hey, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, I wanted to teach these things. But the Holy Spirit said to correct you guys where you're getting off in doctrine, full of the Holy Spirit and those things. And so we have the apostles' doctrine still to this day in the Word of God. And we have the Old Testament where Peter is taught through and to be rooted in the Word of God. Now you go, okay, how important is that? It seems pretty basic, right? I think, okay, being rooted in doctrine is good, yeah. So we repent, we want to be there. How, where does the attacks come from? God's word is the first thing attacked, right? Satan comes in and says, did he really say you would die? I'm going to leave out some information, I'm going to add some information, I'm going to question God's word. Right? And it goes all the way through the scripture. You see these challenges to God's word. You know, even at the end in Revelation, the church of uh, Philadelphia is praised for keeping the doctrine, keeping God's word. You know, it's very important to know your thinking process. And I was kind of bringing this out in, in programming, especially talking with kids, you know, programming and all that stuff, you know. You know, your thought process is important. When programming is off, if you do not have truth, if you're not thinking correctly and something goes haywire, it breaks and can be expensive. You know, every, how many people in here were around during Y2K? Okay, see, and now I get to date myself like when I was a kid and I used to see pastors say things I knew nothing about. Now, Y2K, was that a big deal? Who was it a big deal for? Everybody was freaking out like the world was going to end. You guys didn't know the world was going to end because computers were programmed where they couldn't recognize the year and they were all going to shut down and all these programs were going to crash. Right? Were they wrong? Was that a myth? No, it wasn't. Okay? I have um, some family, I mean, family members were storing up barrels of food with dry ice in them and saving them and fuel in the ground and everything else. I mean, this was going to be the apocalypse, you know, all these computers crash. The amazing thing is most people don't realize Y2K cost anywhere from 300 to $500 billion to reprogram the mistake. One simple mistake that was underlined in all the programming could have taken the known world out of existence and cost money like we can't imagine to fix. And the crazier thing was, there were people as late as two, or, uh, 1998 still writing program with bad code. 
and most are government offices. Why? Because, you know, I'm not going to fix it. You know, it's just, it's in, insane to think. I mean, these are infrastructure, our grid. I mean, if you're writing code for the electric grid in 1998, you think you would have known better, but they still were. Billions of dollars, and it passed without a hitch. You know why? Because people like money. That was my whole thing. They're not going to turn off the power. These people are more invested in this than I am. They're going to come up with a way. They're not going to sit there, smile, and let it get turned off. They're, they're more worried about it than I will ever be, you know. But holding fast, you know, Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Hold fast from the sound words from which thou hast heard of me in the faith and love which is in Christ. Hold fast to the doctrine. That's like in a storm. I forget what movie I remember seeing it on, on the on knuckles of somebody. It said, hold fast. And they were on a ship in the water in a storm, an old wooden, you know, sailboat you know, getting tossed around and he's holding on the rope and on his knuckles it said, hold fast. And that's a picture I have. Like, hold on for dear life. Your life depends on it. Because if you're off in one simple thought, if you're processing and you've believed a lie in a simple thing, it can take you out. The Bible warns against it again and again. In, you know, 1 Timothy 3, 6, it warns against it, you know. Men that teach false things. All the false doctrine. How many people in Scripture are going to want to hear with itching words, false doctrine. And you, you think about this, go, how, how dangerous is that in the church? You know, false doctrine, the wrong doctrine, thinking process. And it comes in so easily. It sneaks in there just like a little simple date code sometimes. The word love, define the word love. Well, if you go to the biblical definition, do you think anybody that doesn't... How many people even in the church believe the biblical definition of love? But they're in love. So throw the rest of the Bible out. You know, you look at just the redefinition of that one word and the cost it will have. You know, the Bible says, well, you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let's redefine that. First, you must love yourself. Well, if love is long-suffering and it doesn't seek self, that doesn't line up with Scripture. But yet, tons of churches and people have taught that very thing is, well, first you have to love yourself. Let's look up the definition of love in the Bible. What does it say? How many people sit there and want to justify, but they're in love, or this is love, or how can you be that way? That's unloving. No, love has a component of truth in it. You know, and you look at that one word in our culture that is stolen and the cost of it is not in billions of dollars, but in lives left and right destroyed in people when the things fall apart because they don't understand what love is and what the truth is and the cost of those things. And so doctrine and knowing God's word is very important because so easily you see these things that come in that are deceitful. You know, there's all kinds of things. I remember my mom was teaching the uh, Sunday school and she was bringing up, you know, with the kids of a game, finding out what was scripture and what wasn't scripture. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness, not in the Bible. It's an easy way to keep your kids clean, but not, you know, there's all kinds of things that, you know, you see these sayings, they're not in the Bible or they're totally taken out of context or they're redefined every, almost every word in there, you know. The importance of knowing God's word, not as just the church and a fellowship, but as you, 
the church of God, to understand and to know doctrine and to have that base. The second thing we see here is fellowship, a word koinonia, which we have no single word in English for because it's too vast. We think of fellowship. And, and, and to find fellowship, I mean, it's not a term we really use anymore. I mean, you, you kind of have clubs or, you know, maybe community group thing kind of thoughts, but, you know, fellowship, getting together in fellowship, you know, fellowship of the rings or whatever, I don't know. It's not a word we rarely use, you know, but what does it mean to fellowship? Fellowship is to be involved in other people's life that you're known. And especially in this country, third world countries are very much more united or knitted together with your neighbors out of necessity. Because when something goes wrong, you're not calling a federal agency that's going to send somebody paid to come help you. Your neighbor's going to be the one that comes and pulls your body out from under the car. You've stuck yourself, you know, there's, you don't got first responders. A house fire goes, everybody in the neighborhood puts out the house fire. You know, our culture, we're very separated in that sense. They fellowship. Fellowship was important. It was to be known by other people. And, and many people go, I don't like Christians because they're sinners. Well, most likely they don't like you because you're a sinner too. I mean, to be known is a hard thing. It's to be open. It's to be vulnerable. You know, and I was thinking, challenged with this, how much do I fellowship? You know, you're trying to move closer and to have more time to be together and stuff. Yeah, there are people I fellowship with more and less. But the true meaning of fellowship as I look at it and studying and sharing life together, being involved in these lives, and there's, you know, things, Facebook and those things help those things, but more the people I've had in my house, we've had fellowship with. Why? Because we're stuck next to each other. You know, it's just the way it was, and that's the way it was here. As they were staying there and these people chose to stay in their area, it was common that the Jewish people would have hospitality and take people into your home. And they would stay. And now the day of Pentecost has passed and they're staying longer, you know. Um, you think of Thanksgiving. Some of you will have a fellowship with your family, getting together, sharing a meal. Some will stay too long and you'll want to boot them, you know, out or whatever. Like, did Uncle Joe move on to move into the couch? I mean, he's like, that's it. Next year we're getting a sofa that's not as comfortable. But, you know, you, you think of those things, right? But to have that thought process of fellowshipping, taking the time to spend time together. And especially, again, in our culture, we are moving so fast. You know, I remember you hear it again and again. You go to another country, you ask somebody how they are doing. You are to expect a couple-hour conversation. This thought of showing up to work on time, which our kid in our generation is throwing out, isn't common. Showing up an hour late was common. Why? Because you could have ran into somebody on the way to work. You talk. Just the way it is. The pace of life is different. Here, we're boom, 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 move, move, production, moving. You know, um, and cultures all over the world kind of changed, started changing that way of production and, and those things all about the dollar. But to fellowship, to take that time. And in our lives, who do we fellowship with? Who do we fellowship with? It's not that you shouldn't ever fellowship with unbelievers, but who are you taking time and what are you fellowshipping about? You know, and, and there's all kinds of things. It's always interests me, things that people get behind. You know, I was bidding a roof on a um, moose lodge. And the Elks Lodge, and you look at a lot of these old lodges, and they're old. They're not, there's very few young people in these lodges. That was a way they got together and hung out, you know. Facebook destroyed it. I don't know, you know, what's happened where, you know, country club kind of get together. Things, that's how people got together and kind of fellowship and hung out. And, 
and you just kind of look at the change of that, where, where it is and what are you about. And every organization, every group of people, when they fellowship, it's about something. They have a cause or a purpose. If you fellowship, what is your cause about? You know, and there's all kinds of fellowships. You can have a fellowship in your lunchroom at work and your cause is against your boss or the company you work for or whatever, right? Or the coffee machine or, you know, whatever it is that you're unhappy with. There's many things we can fellowship over, but we should be fellowship and fellowship because we are believers, because we are family in Christ and, and be focused on those things and, and be talking about those things. And, and that should be our programming. That's the only thing that's important to be talking about. And it says they continued in the breaking of bread, eating bread. So this, this, this whole thing wasn't just the breaking of bread. They, oh, they just had food. They ate together, you know. And yes, there was something more intimate, closer back then, the way they thought about bread. But more this is talking about the Last Supper. This is talking about the commandment to break bread, communion. And that's really what? It's coming to God and saying, yes, I recognize that I was a sinner and you died on the cross. I'm remembering the cross. I'm not delusional. I'm not sitting here thinking I'm somehow better. I'm not thinking somehow I've earned your grace. Number one, I remember and I'm accepting your sacrifice on the cross. And so to accept it, therefore, I have to admit that I've been a sinner and I've fallen and fallen short of your glory. Number two, to accept it means I get to accept it. I don't have to be that way anymore. I'm changed. It's kind of one of those things where it's also sacrifice, but it's it's humbling, but it's also joyous in the fact that we are accepted and we are received by him. And that's what he wants us to remember. Yeah, you you were this, but that's okay because I loved you anyways. And again, if the only time you break bread, have communion with God is in church service once a month, that's not right, church. He said, break it as often as you can. It doesn't mean, hey, somebody comes over for dinner in your house, let's pause and have communion. See, I'm self-guilty here. Now I'm going to have to guys invite you over, and next time I'm going to have to break out some bread. But you sit here and you think about it, go, is there times where I just sit and sit alone with God, where I just commune with God? Where I just sit there and go, man, God, I cannot believe you love me so much, and you've forgiven me. Help me to remember that. Help me to remember that I am your bride. I am special. I am set apart in that way. You know, and so there's communion, breaking of bread and continuing. And then it says also in prayer, and this was not just individual prayer. When you kind of look at it, it was more prayer meetings or group getting together. And praying and worship are kind of one thing. You know, um, I pray. I don't worship because I can't sing well. But when you're praying and seeking God, there are several types of prayer. You know, there's petitions and stuff. But a lot of prayer is worshiping God. God, you're so amazing, awesome, right? And when you get together and you're praying, you're seeking God, you're waiting upon the Lord, you're laying your desires in front of God, you're there. You know, I had the question this week, and, and it's, it's a good question because it, it shows where somebody's growing in those sense of asking, so... Why do we pray for each other? All you men, get online. Something's going on. You post prayer for this. What's it matter? If I tell God, doesn't God know? Does he need to hear from 10 people? I mean, why do you guys all want to get together and pray for it? You know what I mean? Why, why is it important that I tell you that you should ask or ask you to pray for me? Right? Good question, right? Like, yeah. And that's kind of my attitude, God. You know what I'm thinking. You know what I should pray for if I should pray. So why should I pray at all? But then you get to scripture and it says repeatedly, you have not because you've asked not. 
Again, those are one of those areas where when God's outside of time and he's omnipresent, does prayer change things? Yes. Does prayer change God's mind? No. But does it change things? Yes. Are you okay with both? Yes. I don't, you know what I mean? It's, it's a good question because it, it can't be answered. But again, at the same time, it, it's a thought process. There's a thought process here we just we cannot understand. You're, there's things you got to just be just really simple. I am not going to understand God. I cannot even understand there. There are many things I was talking with. I forget somebody on the phone about, okay, God's outside of time. He has no beginning, no end. Oh, that's hard to grasp. How don't you have a beginning and end? But all of us can agree in here, if God had a beginning, he would not be God. So therefore, it makes sense. Okay? So, does your praying change God's plan? No. Does prayer change things? Yes. I'm good with both. And so, you know, it's one of those good questions is because, like, how do you answer that? Well, we don't have an answer for that. We're told to do both. We're told to trust God. We're told God's in control of everything, but yet we should pray, and we should pray for each other and lifting each other up in prayer. And, and when you are to pray, you're supposed to pray with many. You're supposed to bring your petitions before each other and pray for each other together. And, you know, and that can be taken... You know, the prayer goes to all kinds of ways. One of the biggest things, and I appreciate you guys on Facebook and stuff, is I'm glad it doesn't come a gospel, a gossip chain. You know, pray for my Aunt Edna. She's really bad off. She met this new guy, and he's horrible, and da 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 da. And it becomes a gossip thing. I've seen it. I'm so happy with this fellowship. I haven't seen that. And it's like, real needs, not, okay. What else do you want to pray for? Do you have anything else you want to pray for for? Because I, you got any more details for that prayer? I mean, you know, those things. And we sit there, and, but prayer is also a form of worship. And me and Heidi are kind of talking about this, and I have already pre-warned her I was going to use this as a sermon illustration because, like, during service and when we pray, there's some of you guys, man, your hands are up and you're praying. you got your hands up praying and, and stuff. And that's, you're seeking God and you're comfortable. Me, I'm, I'm kind of, like, careful. Like, I raise my hand and people are going to notice. I mean, I get in my head too much. You know, and Heidi goes, yeah, it's kind of easier. But, like, when I'm alone, I'll, you know, when I'm alone and I'm driving, and she goes, I'll, I'll praise God, I'll raise my hands. And I said, while you're driving? And I'm like, yeah. I said, so while you're driving, you're raising your hands. Yep. I said, wait a minute. Think about that, hon. Um, so, yeah. So, me and Heidi, we more in our car when not everybody's watching, per se. We're praising God, raising our hands, and everybody in the cars around us start to pray because our hands aren't on the steering wheel. Um, they're in there. I mean, thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, you're awesome. And, ah, cars are honking. People are praying. It's amazing. So, anyways. So I told her I was going to bring that out. Um, but in a church fellowship, when you see a church and there are things that are off, and I'm and not just things are off, there is no perfect church. This church isn't perfect. This isn't a perfect model. But in a church, when you see failings and major problems happening in a church, it's usually because one of these areas are lacking. They, there's a problem. There's something off. Um, same in a life. Not to say if you're doing all these things, your life is perfect, but generally when there's a big issue in a person's life, one of these four things falls short. There's a lack of it. You can have people so into doctrine and they're all about doctrine, but they forgot that they're a sinner saved by God's grace. You know, it, it amazed me how many people that are deep into legalism, the worship is dry. <laughs> dusty you know but at the same time 
You can see people all excited about the worship, you know. I get these calls nowadays and, and just the church trends and Bethel church movement. And, you know, we pray and balloons come down or feathers or whatever and all this stuff going on. And some of the stuff, it's just, it's scary out there. We were in a church in, in Havasu and as we're, as, as worship's going, man, they had a lights ministry like you couldn't believe. I mean, and as praise comes down and all the lights come down and the color changes, I mean, I couldn't see the seal. There was more. I, the biggest thing I had problem during that worship service was trying to figure out which laser was going to get me in the eye next. You know, fog and and our praises go up and all the lights go up. It's like, how do you time that? You have somebody in the sound booth who knows the worship song. Okay, praises go up, praises go down. I mean, all about the feeling. You know, and I'll have people that call on the phone going, yeah, you know, we're in town here. We're just thinking of coming by and visiting your church. What kind of worship do you have? Well, we sing. We sing worship song, we have a guitar. No, what does it feel like? I'm thinking, you know, it feels awesome. We're teaching out of the Book of Mormon this week. Are you still coming? I mean, does that matter? I mean, how you feel is what's important. I mean, I haven't done that yet. So don't call. No. I mean, but you sit there and you go, well, that's the most important thing is your feeling, not doctrine, not basis. Well, what happens when that feeling goes away? Everybody that's been married in here, what happens when that feeling goes away? <laughs> the realities of those choices we make, you know? Those rose-colored glasses go off. You know, the wedding day's over, the morning comes. You know, I remember watching an episode of uh, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and he got stuck in an elevator with the gal, and, you know, by the end of the thing, her hair's coming out, her eye contacts are coming out, and he's just, he thought this girl's beautiful, and she's falling apart, literally, in the elevator as they're stuck. <laughs> he's hiding in the corner. But, you know, the reality comes out, you know. He's an awesome guy. He's so godly and caring, but he cannot make his laundry, make it in the laundry basket. Why can't he? You know, there's a couple. I'm sure there's, there's, you know, every man in here has a shortfalling. That's mine. It's six inches in front of the laundry hamper. But I have a purpose for it, okay? I have keys and stuff, and I usually empty them before the next day, and I sometimes just don't get it the rest way and after. But, um... You know, there's those things, right? The reality of it comes off. Your reality of your walk, if you're not grounded in God's word, especially if you are not solid, people are going to come along with a doctrine. Oh, that sounds great. That was exciting. And next thing you know, your life's destroyed. Everything's falling apart. It now seems like the apocalypse because the programming, what you were taught is wrong. And that's where we need to be relying on God's word. We need to be in, in fellowship with one another we need to be remembering and in communion with the Lord. And we need to be in prayer and worshiping and seeking Him and relying on Him, having our focus right. And so, not just church foundations, but foundations for our life. And in verse 43, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It's kind of interesting, with all this going on and this excitement and them being together, there's this verse that's like, Huh? Fear came upon their souls. I mean, doesn't that sound like it'd be the opposite? What kind of fear? Okay, so you had the fear there and the reality of it, right? The seriousness of it coming upon, hey, there's a choice to make. And, and some of the fear is, okay, what is God calling you to do? You know, sometimes you come to church and you're excited and God forgive you and everything else and then God starts to call you out to serve and suddenly fear comes upon your soul. Wait a minute. I was good showing up. I'm good hanging out for the potluck. I'm good doing these things. I don't want to be used to God. I just want to come and receive and come and leave. But 
to go serve to him to start to prompt me this way, God, you know, it's there. And I really feel that's what's going on here is at this point, God's starting to call him and having him step out in areas. And that's why there's signs and wonders and these things being done. It's beyond their ability. God's calling them to do things beyond their ability. Let me give you a quick example of that, okay? If you are sitting here right now, we close up, we end prayer. Before we go out there, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, just found out I have this major health issue. And the Holy Spirit says, pray for them that they would be healed right now. Would you have fear? (laughs) I'd have fear. (laughs) God, you share this person. If this doesn't work out, I'm going to look like a crazy pastor, okay? (laughs) Like... I don't know if I have that gifting. I mean, there'd be all kinds of fear to step out in those areas. And there, there's fear. There's, they're going, wow, man, there's, there's fear of what's coming. There's fear of reality, of, of, of the whole world, all of what's changing. But yet they're stepping out, they're going. And now in verse 44, it says, Now all who believed together were together and all things in common. They sold their possessions and their good. They divided them up among all uh, as... Um, as anyone had need. So they sell their stuff, they're selling their possessions, they're living, they're turning their lives to God, and many will say this was a mistake. Because later on in the Gospels and Acts, we see Paul bringing gifts to the church in Jerusalem. They seem to be in poverty, they seem to be in financial distress. You know, some say, oh, they're expecting Christ to return in weeks, so hey, sell my house, and we're going to live off my house for a while. And that was, you know, obviously... They were off in that area, you know, um, you know and, and at that time, again, these were travelers. They're staying longer. They now have needs. They're running out of resources. They're staying in people's homes. And so there was needs arising from that as they were learning. And, and they're kind of like almost, if you would, supported, uh, supported missionary studies now at this point, right? So they could stay and learn more about the gospel before even returning and taking it home. And so this gift of hospitality being used in this sense, you know, um, it's kind of interesting even when you hear some stuff. I was listening to Dave, Dave Gusick on it, and uh, he's talking, and, and obviously he's, he's, he's served overseas in, in different churches and in different areas near, near German and Austria and there and stuff. And he goes, no, this isn't the first attempt at communism. He goes, there's a big difference between this and communism. He says, the big difference is, you know, somebody has a need and I choose to give it to them compared to somebody has a need and they choose to take it and kill me for it. That's the difference between this and communism. <laughs> it was willful, not forced, you know. And, and I don't believe it was off. When you look at church history and what continues on here, how much of this possessions and earthly possessions, the rapture didn't come quickly, but what did come quickly after this to the church in Jerusalem and then spread? Persecution. Paul was on their hills. How many people lost what they had? Many. The land they might have sold might have been and ended up owned for somebody else for their purposes, and if anything, sold to pursue more Christians. I don't believe this was wrong at all. I thought this was probably right where Christ needed. The amount of giving that was needed to educate, to share the gospel, to learn the gospel, to study, to have that fellowship, to build those relationships, to make that solid foundation before it was dispersed, I think was truly important. I think the church would have been in Jerusalem impoverished after regardless. You think of a culture, you know, we talk about freedom of religion, this and this, they can't fire you for whatever crazy ideal you have. 
there, they didn't care. They would not even just not fire you, not use your business. They could take your life and take your possessions. You know, we don't have anything like religious persecution like that to walk in and take everything you have because you believe in Christ, but this is what was going to happen and did happen, you know? And I think it's good to, you know, you sit there and you look at this and go, okay, so they're together and they're giving and, and they're doing it joyfully. They're glad to give for what God's doing. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They're giving, you know, and it's interesting. They gave as, as they had need, as those had need. You know, we can sit there and again, um, frankly, remember we, we kind of looked at, okay, Jesus died on the cross. The veil was ripped top to bottom. These guys were baptized, throwing off the whole Old Testament traditions and everything else. Guess what else they threw off with that? Tithing 10%. That's an Old Testament principle. It's not a New Testament principle. Now, is tithing a principle in the New Testament? Yes, tithing and giving is. How much? How much? Well, the principle is living and being relied on the Holy Spirit. So that's between you and the Holy Spirit. There's good stuff out there that helps, you know, believers get their financial peace university, very good tools. Main thing I disagree with that is, what is God telling you to do? There's been many times we've been in situations where financially it doesn't make sense to help that person. But we're going to help that person because it makes spiritual sense. And God covers the bills. You know? Our budget is rarely lined up and worked out. I don't like doing a budget because it just proves to me, well, yeah, it just doesn't work out. It's never worked out, you know. Not to say we don't budget, not to say we don't have plans and stuff, and not to say we're not blessed way beyond, you know, not worried about it at all. God's blessed us a lot. But those things, when you look down and you sit there and you see how God provides in those areas, it's one of those areas, just trust him with it and obey. Don't, if somebody's putting pressure on you and it's not God, then don't do it. The main thing, any time in ministry, in a fellowship, in church, if somebody comes up to you and says, you have to do this, and they're laying on a cells, a gimmick, a, you know, a, a whiny story, the answer is no. Always no, it keeps you safe. That's where, you know, I... I I, you know, sometimes you wish you had a nonprofit set up at one of those businesses, but when they're always asking you for money after, sometimes, okay, a couple cents, whatever. But honestly, if you're going to hard sell me right there, I don't know anything about that organization. I could be donating to something I'm 100% against. And if I haven't taken the time to do it, okay, well, I'll sit down, I'll eat my meal or something, then maybe I'll look at the thing, okay, then it looks, I'll give to that. But right there at the register, the answer is no. So I've just freed you guys from that because I know you don't like that. You're sitting there, the people in line, you're thinking everybody's staring at you. Is he going to give his change or not? You know, I'm going to judge you. I saw a fish on his car. That's a Christian for you. No, I mean, the answer is no. When it comes to giving, if somebody's pressing you to give, oh, we got this special, the answer is no. Oh, serving in children's ministry, serving in this, oh, you need to come, the answer is no. You know, you have to come to the church potluck after church. It's free food. The answer is yes. No. I mean, <laughs> you, you sit there. You know, there's some things you just don't have to, to force at all, you know. But um, you sit there and you look at those things. It's just a simple principle. They're, so they're giving, they're willingly. I feel they're full of the Holy Spirit. When I look at the scripture, I don't, I don't see what happens later as, as a bad thing. I think it was an awesome thing. And I think the heritage of these other believers being full of the Holy Spirit to give it to Jerusalem and head it back to the church to support them was an awesome thing.
And so in verse 46 it says, So continuing daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Now, simplicity of heart. They ate their food with gladness and they were together with simplicity of heart. I love that. You know how many times sometimes we can make things complicated in our hearts? Well, if I do this, then what do I get back? How am I going to do this? And we start to worry about all the different aspects instead of just simply trusting and going on. We're, we're together, we're serving the Lord, and it's simple. You know what I mean? How many, you know, most, most of you guys who have the gift of uh, giving do not have the gift of receiving. Right? I like to give. I do not like to receive. I'm, I'm awkward. I'm like, no offense. If you give something to me and I act awkward, it's not because of the gift. It's because I'm awkward. Okay, I just, I don't know how to take it. I will love to stop and help somebody out. I mean, I was on the 120 headed home yesterday and somebody, you know, didn't break in time. So spun out and put themselves off the ditch. I got the winch on my truck. Oh yeah, pull them out. Yeah, I have no problem doing that. Now, if somebody had to pull me out, no, I'll figure my way out of the hole. I mean, it's just, it's just I, so there's, there's that aspect. They were just simple. They weren't overthinking it. It wasn't a, a, a weighing subject of, well, if I give this now, what am I going to get back later? Just serving the Lord simply. Just taking a peace and a rest in that. And so many times, I think, with ministry and stuff, we can overthink stuff to where, you know, there's been different times in the fellowship here, and there's a need arises and goes, well, you know, there's a need in this. To me, it's not, okay, if there's a need and I'm called here, not to say I'm going to take over that ministry, but I can fill in. Sure, I'll fill in and help out with that. I don't need a prayer and a lightning bolt and three people and scriptures and okay, now I know I can take out the trash. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't pray about that enough, Pastor. I know it's sitting there. I'll be back. Just leave it. I'll pray about it next week. No, I understand if you've got to process things that way and you want to be sure. Sometimes there's certain needs to just take care of. Now, if God's calling you to step out into something, yes, pray. I want you to be praying into it and those things. But if somebody comes up and there's a simple need, not twisting your arm, go, okay, yeah, I can help out there. I'll fill in there. I can do that. You know, there's been areas I, I filled in. When, when we first um, came here, there was uh, already plenty of guys doing the high school, junior high. Ended up just hanging out there with Alex, and uh, over time, they all left. I scared him away, no. But uh, back to Hawaii, man, no, Virginia. But the, the two guys that were involved ended up called to other places, and so I ended up filling in, doing high school and junior high. And then Mike came along and was like, you know, sitting there, and he was like, well, I'm kind of interested. I said, well, pray about it. He goes, but aren't you doing it? Yeah, I'm just filling in. I think you're called, and I believe you're called, but I'm not going to say nothing. Just wait until God tells you. He comes up to him, uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of talk to you about youth and stuff. I'm kind of feeling called about doing that. I'm, and he's worried about stepping on my tongue. I'm like, finally God told you. Now I'm next Sunday, right? I'm like, uh, well, I was thinking of waiting another month. Okay, fine. You know, I have no problem stepping up and doing that. Not a problem, you know. Taught junior high, high school before, but no, I wasn't the guy. I knew I wasn't the guy, but I didn't have no problem filling in. When the guy came that was the guy, I knew it was before him, unfortunately. I'm like, come on, let's get going, bud. And he's, you know, served awesome there for a while. And so there's, there's those things. I just love the simplicity of heart. And they're just glad and the simplicity of heart. Verse 47, they praise God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So this just wasn't 3,000, but it would continue to grow and grow. And again, as we go through Acts, it's kind of like highlights of ministry. You know, there's time between these things. 
and, and we can get to that point of looking and going, wow, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. No, let's continue it happening. The work of the Holy Spirit with coming on the day of Pentecost and the power and the boldness to preach the gospel and the power coming upon them praising the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit to share that gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit to change those lives and hearts is still going on, the work of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the, these four actions that kind of come out of that in the church of what's going on, of, of being in the doctrine full of the Holy Spirit, being able to understand God's word and it's speaking to us, being in communion with him and in fellowship with one another. And sometimes that does take the Holy Spirit. No, I'm joking. <laughs> being in fellowship and being in prayer and worship, those things are continuing to this day. You know, there was a, um, in 1990 Harvest Crusades, they had a couple, but in 1990 there was a Harvest Crusade in LA and they had a Harvest Crusade and it was amazing. There's a ton of people come to accept Christ at that Harvest Crusade. And they decided, man, we need to follow up. And so within a couple days, they followed up and said, hey, everybody came out and prayed to accept Christ. We're going to have a baptism at the beach. They don't know how many people are baptized. Over 5,000 is what the media was reporting. That's in 1990. Those things still happen. The church is still going on. And again, you know, you look at your individual life, you might have highlights where people go, wow. But the day-to-day -day seems harder, you know. But just continuing in those things, checking ourselves in those things, making sure our minds and our hearts are full of God's word, where, where when somebody comes up to you and goes, but don't you, doesn't, isn't, isn't your God a loving God? Isn't he going to love them? Yes, he's going to love them in truth. He's not going to want them to get hurt. You want me to accept something that's going to destroy that person. I'm not going to do it. That's unloving. That's the opposite definition of love. And they sit there and they look at you wide-eyed and like, bring, you know, just like totally rock their world. What? I've been repeating that thing because somebody told me it. No. But so now we're going to close in prayer. Then guess what we're going to do? If for those who want to hang out, we got food out there. I cooked turkey last night. No. And so, you know, sometimes as a pastor, you have to feed the sheep turkey and stuffing. And so we're going to hang out. We're going to fellowship the ones who want to hang out. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, Lord. And we just pray before we get overwhelmed with lunch and what's going on after, there's plenty of food. Let's just pray we can just rest on you and what you're speaking to us this morning, God, that we can just desire to change, that have our mindset rethought. God, help us to just lay aside all the other things that would challenge it. God, wake us up. Well, remind us again tonight of those things you're speaking on our heart now. Remind us again in the morning, Father, that our hearts would change, that we would really have repentance, that our minds would be changed, that our directions would be changed in our lives. God, that we would have a desire to know your word, that we would long after it, Father, to know how to live, that would be of your spirit, uh, that we would be in fellowship with one another, that we'd have uh, just time with you of communion, Father, and that we can just come pray and worship you, Father, just out of the joyous things of everything you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.